Uh, are you there? What's that? You know what's really weird? What's that? I don't know. Something's going on with my... I'm sitting in front of the camera, and you don't see me, do you? No. It looks like you're not in the room. I'm sitting right there. I've, I'm freaking out because I feel like maybe I'm a vampire. I'm sitting maybe. right in front of you. Maybe you died and only I can hear you, but nobody can see you. Well, hello, and welcome to The Thing With Two Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris, and I'm really pink today. And I look like a baby mouse, like a baby <laughs> mouse with, with a beard. Get up, come on, um, get down with the pinkness. You know, <laughs> that's my theme song. I'm yeah. gonna play that every time I walk into a room. Every time, any room. Hey, Chris, can you feel it? Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> come on. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I just yeah. want to say, hey, thank you so much for watching uh, the the. Uh, well, as of as of this taping, um, the first episode of the Nick Castle show went up, and uh, we got a really great response, and a lot of people watching, and we really appreciate that. Hopefully, the the second episode will get just as good as a watch. We hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I do, and um, we have a lot to cover about that, actually. Yeah, kind of. Well, someday. yeah, because I think I think we got a lot of views because of the gotcha headline. <laughs> yeah, from the, the from the. Uh, yeah, the controversial headline that wasn't controversial at all. It was, it's weird. We finally got our first taste of... Um, of what do you uh, call it? Fake media. Fake, <laughs> I don't know. Fake news. That, fake it was news. fake news, Chris. Fake you know news. it's true. It Carpenter was. hates the mask. He hates you. He hates Michael Myers. <laughs> Very nasty individual, the Myers. Very nasty mask. Uh, Everybody in yeah, Haddonfield that knows it. What do you call that? Do you call it clickbait? Do you call oh, it clickbait? That's what I meant. I, I was the goofing clickbait? on the fake news thing. Yeah, it was definitely clickbait. No, it's fake news too. But it was fake news too. Well, it's but, true. Mean, it, was like, it was just the way it was presented. It was presented. The context. The context, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that was, that, as Sean knows, that kind of freaked me out. I was yeah. like, Oh no, really? It's like if I go, oh my God, I laughed so hard I pissed my pants. Like I'm, I have to be careful what I say. And then because tomorrow, Christopher I Nelson, say, I so hard, I pant my, pisser. Christopher Nelson pissed his pants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like any tiny, tiny thing that you say, you have to be careful. Now I have to be careful of everything I say, which is no fun. Nobody wants that. They want, you know. That's why we're not going to let them spoil our fun. We that can't let funny, them win. Though, right? It was Wasn't funny. That funny? Yeah. It was, it was, it was, uh, John Carpenter hates. The new Halloween mask, which I'm sure a lot of people had a, a good time enjoying that headline. And then, well, there was another one. I keep getting Google alerts of uh, original Michael Myers actor is worried he's going to get cut out of the new movie or something like really? that. Really? Yeah, it's just like a, another. There's like two or three things that people glommed onto and ran with, and it's sad. It's sad. You need to get on with it. Yeah. Get on with your life. At the end of the day those poor people that were misled stumbled yeah. upon a fantastic show that they now love. Indeed, yes. So what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Well, I watched a lot of stuff because I'll tell you why, as you know. Not you know what I didn't up. watch? You know what I didn't watch, what Chris? You watch? I didn't what? watch this yet. It's Street Trash. You didn't? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. But I did just Neither get this I. in the mail. I did just get this in the mail. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Oh, okay. That's New Scream movie. Factory. 
Oh, which wow. right. the interview with James Remar on this was oh, filmed okay. right upstairs in my living nice. room. Did they anyway. send you that for free? Yeah. Well, yeah, I get the, I, I get them. I don't get I, anything for free. But I work with them. Nobody sends me anything. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody sends me anything. I'm sick of it. My doughy ass is sick of it. Anyway. Did you conduct an interview for this in your living room? No, I didn't. Okay, well then, still then just you don't automatically send it to me. Just because you're Chris Nelson? Oh, that's yeah. going to be the next clip, like, clickbait headline. Chris Nelson <laughs> feels scorned by Scream Factory. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> Says, I deserve more free stuff. I deserve more free stuff from everyone for no yeah. reason. I'm sick of this COVID shit. COVID? <laughs> COVID, COVID. It's COVID. COVID. You, like the guy from American COVID. Movie. <laughs> I know. That's what Mark I'm Borchart. I'm sick of it. My big fat fucking middle-aged doughy ass is sick of this covered horse shit. It's Coven. Dude, I met those guys. I met the American. Did you? They were at. Uh, I just watched that. I just watched it recently again. I fucking love that movie. I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in over a decade. It's been. A it's long really. Time. It's it's highly entertaining, but terribly depressing. Actually. Yeah. You're just going. Oh man. They were at San Diego Comic-Con right after the movie came out, and I, uh -huh. I brought a poster and got them both to sign it. Oh, that's I got, amazing. I got a picture with them. The picture is terrible because it was uh. for, there was, I don't know if you remember this, when digital cameras first came out and they yeah. were floppy disk. Right. Wow. They looked like garbage. Yeah. They, oh, God. Uh. All the photos I took in that maybe year or so, I had that floppy disk digital camera that I thought was so high tech. Mm -hmm look like mm. ass so what have you been watching uh, what, I, what have you been watching i've been watching a lot of stuff because as you know just so my viewers out there our viewers out there know we can cut this out or not i suffer from chronic depression it's a terrible terrible affliction i've had it all my life it's awful <laughs> oh sorry i wasn't leaving go ahead <laughs> anyway and uh 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 i had a bout of it this week and you know people out there with the whole covet thing it's coven because there was a couple comments on our last show or whatever. Somebody had said, look, I, I, I've been really depressed and your show I really saw that. helps me out, which was really nice to see. So uh, the re that's why I'm bringing it up is because for all of you out there that are having a hard time with this COVID thing. It's Colvin, man. What else could it be pronounced? Uh, Coven, uh, that's the proper pronunciation. No, no. And the way the world is as much of a shithole as everything is turning out to be. Uh, and you get depressed and you get discouraged, you get upset, hang in there, don't worry about it. Everybody gets it, I get it, I get it really bad. Hang in there, we're all in it together and we're gonna help each other out by talking about dumb shit. Anyway, I had a really bad bout of it this last week and one thing that helps me is watching movies. So uh, I'm watching some of my favorite movies. So I watched some of my favorite movies and I watched a couple new movies this week. One movie that I worked on called The Tax Collector came out. So I watched that. Um, what'd you think of that movie? And then I watched another new movie that's called Relic. Mm -hmm. uh, new Relic, not the old Relic, but the new Relic, which was how, really how good. Was I enjoyed it. It's a slow burn. It's very uh, hereditary Babadook kind of vibe. It's an Australian film. It's, it's really good, though. I, I enjoyed it. I really um, like hereditary. I'm, I'm, I'm lukewarm on well, Babadook. It's not quite as it's not nearly as intense as hereditary which i love that movie yeah. but uh it's a good movie it's worth a watch it's like i said it's a slow burn so check it out 
definitely worth the watch. Uh, I watched some of my favorite movies. Uh, I have a list. I wrote it down. Shawshank Redemption. Did you watch Shawshank Redemption? I did. I watched Shawshank Redemption again. You knew that. That's amazing. I watched Falling Down, which not one of my favorite movies, but I haven't seen it in since it came out in the 90s. I suggested that to you. I reminded you of it. Oh, did you? In the last episode, yeah. That's right. You know, I remember when it came out and I liked it and it was of its time and it and and at the time it was like, ooh, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's it's pretty gritty and where now you watch it, it's it's makes no sense. The plot really doesn't make any sense. And it's not gritty at all. And it's really convenient and it's I still like it, but it's a strange, strange movie. But basically he's a guy that's suffering from depression, really. Right. I mean, that mm-hmm. kind of has a break. So, yeah, he snaps, which is yeah. which I'm getting close to. So, yeah, that'll be another show. Um, Brides of Dracula, I watched, um, oh. which 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 was fun to watch. Deliverance, I watched. Oh, revisited uplifting, Deliverance, uplifting which, film. All these things are uplifting. Of course, I watched The Thing, Carpenter's The Thing. That's one of my all time favorites. It's on my list. I'm going back to our top five. The Shining, I watched. Again. Wow, you man, you you just went through the whole catalog, huh? I did, and I watched uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, and everyone's gonna laugh at me for this, and I don't care, but it's a great movie because it combines really good filmmaking and storytelling with music. So there's this movie Tom Hanks directed called That Thing You Do. Oh, love that movie. I love that movie. Love it, love it, love it. Always makes me feel good. I actually bought a T-shirt of T Public. Mm-hmm. Just give T Public a little plug. It's a Ramones shirt, but it says Oneaters. <laughs> That's rad. I'm wearing my uh, in honor of uh, AJN. Got the KAB Radio Antonio Bay. Yeah, um, Antonio Bay from uh, the good people at Gutter Antonio Garbs. Bay. Antonio ah, Bay. Gutter Garbs. Antonio yeah. Bay. They've never sent you anything for free, right? gutter garbs never send me anything for free oh and trading places i watch trading places mm. which one of my all-time favorite movies y'all want me to break some mail Ooh, i love that one. how about you my okay. name is inga i'm from sweden definitely looked at jamie in a whole nother light as a young boy after seeing that film don't even get me started on that what have i been watching i i nay and i started the series you recommended most dangerous animal Oh yeah, how'd you, yeah. Uh, how far did you get, and how do you like it? We've it's four episodes. We're two episodes in. Hopefully, we'll finish it tonight. First episode, we were both kind of uh, kind of reaching. Right? Yeah. Episode two, we're like, okay, yeah, all right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, uh, so so far, same. I was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. So far, wait till the end. You're going to be so disappointed. It's got a disappointing ending. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> great but stick but it's only four episodes so much. no how was the drive-in didn't you just go to the drive-in yeah last thursday we went to the double feature of nightmare on Elm street and scream you know it's funny man you watch those movies now you just realize how bad they are sometimes you know what i mean <laughs> i mean like i love the original elm street i love it to death but my god sure. there's some some parts that you watch and you go gosh wow what is going on with Ronnie Blakely's acting in that film? <laughs> I mean, she, What's going on with everybody's acting in that film? Well, it, it's just she delivers this sort of breathy performance, and she just talks like this, locked, mm. all locked, 
all locked. You know, I mean, she just, she's like no emotion, just delivers mm-hmm. these flat lines. I mean, I, I don't know, was she, her method thing saying alcoholic, this is how I'm going to play this. I, I don't right. know. I, it's, it's uh, interesting. It's interesting. But I'll be honest with you, Scream held up a lot better than I expected. Mm. There really is no bad performances in Scream, to be honest with you. Everybody's solid in that movie. It's a good mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Actually, the part it doesn't work as well as I remembered was the opening with Drew Barrymore. It felt like uh, it took yeah, yeah. forever. I guess the whole thing was trying to build her up as like she's going to be a legit character in this movie. It just seemed like that setup took forever. But anyway, we had a blast had a few assholes again flashing the lights and honking not nearly as bad as the first time but it was like can you guys really just can't control yourselves i mean it's it's so i mean it's so there's you know it's like, i just picture people in the car going like this and they're like i can't, can't do it i can't fuck it <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Don't it's, it. it's, it, that's frustrating. And you get to experience that tomorrow night on your birthday. I, I know. I'm supposed to go tomorrow. It's my birthday tomorrow, Thursday, August 13th. By the time this airs, you'll, that'll have long passed and you'll mm-hmm. be a year older. Uh, even older doughy. <laughs> Middle-aged man. What else have you been doing? We went to that Knott's Berry Farm. Taste the calico. In that. Oh yeah. How was that? That was cool. It was cool. It was just cool to get out, man. I mean, yeah. it was just cool to, it wasn't crowded at all. They said it was sold out, but it, it was, you know, very lightly attended and it was tasty, man. And then I ended up buying like $200 worth of boysenberry <laughs> food. I, was gonna say. I sent my mom two boxes of like boysenberry <laughs> barbecue sauce, boysenberry uh, dressing, boysenberry beef jerky, boysenberry taffy. I mean, I sent her a, she's going to be Jeez. stoked. Yeah. Wow. And I've she's been munching. Very fan. I've been. Uh, she, she likes boysenberry. Yeah. Your mom's a fan of the boys. She's down for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> you down with the boys? She down with the boys. I had all ca- boys in her face. Oh, hey now. Sorry. Talk about my mom. I was that about was to make a joke far. about. That was lo- too far. We're <laughs> <laughs> right. talking about Mama Clark. No. Come after you. I'm trying to think if I watched anything else. I've actually been watching basketball because basketball started up again. I'm a big sports guy. I know you're not, but uh, yeah. I've been watching basketball, um, which has mm. been a delight just to see something, mm-hmm. something, you know. That What is it about sports that you like so much? What is, what is people's fascination with sports? It's like, because I guess I get it because for me, like movies and music and stuff, that's my sport, like, I can get behind all that stuff, hardcore and fan and blah, 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 blah. Sports, I never got, I don't get that. I used to play sports. I played sports in in, in school and I was really good at it because it's super easy. It's not that hard. You do yeah. this, you do that, whatever, you know. But what what is it, to Try explain it to me, what, what the deal is with sports and people and you. I love competition and I love the spirit of competition. And I played both football and basketball. So mm-hmm. I, I think maybe that gives me a little more connection. I played football as a kid. I was in a league when I was a kid, but I, was not, I didn't play in high school. I got into basketball when I turned 30, believe it or not. That's when I started getting into it and started playing. And I was on a couple amateur leagues with guys I worked with. I stopped playing because uh, I just kept getting injured constantly. Tore a hamstring, tore a calf muscle. I, You're I, playing too hard. 
playing Dude, hard. I, I go hard, bro. I go hard. Yeah. Once I hit like 40, just a little bit after 40, man, all these mm-hmm. crazy injuries started happening. And it sucks because that was my main source of cardio. I played three, four days a week. And when I'd go, right. I'd play for like three hours, like full right. intense. I really miss it a lot, but I know the consequences. I've been telling myself that when the gyms opened back up, I was going to go back and try, but I think it'd be a bad idea. Why don't you play basketball, but not so hard? How do you do that? You you can't do that. How you do that? Play horse. It's it's like saying, dude, have sex, but don't like really go at it. Like, you know, just kind of ease in there. (laughs) You know what I mean? What's the problem with that? So what are you doing? You're just jackhammering at your lady all night. What do you got? I got to ease into that. You got to play. You got a little, you know, a little warm up. Little, no, but know. but just the whole time. That's it. Don't you can't you just go, go in jackhammer. You're out. You're throwing three pointers. You're 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 running the baseline. You're elbowing to get. You're elbowing the center to get into that. That's what you're doing. Is that what we're saying? Don't try to throw down sports talk when you're not a sports guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was a really good basketball player. I was. Well, I can center. imagine you're like nine foot eight. I mean, of course you. I am a... nine foot eight. I am yeah, exactly you, nine foot eight. You wouldn't have to be good at your size. A guy like was, me, five eleven. I have to be yeah. decent to play. Yeah. No, I and was I'm not center. that good. Uh, football, <laughs> I was really good. And baseball, I was a catcher playing baseball. I was a really good catcher. They used to call me the Hoover back because here because I you're sucked built, up all the built like the dam. I sucked up all the balls. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you're all there. <laughs> Sucking all the balls. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, anyway, Adrian Barbeau is going to watch this episode. Yeah, she's going to be like, going to be like, oh god, what did what I, I what did I get myself into? Hi, Adrian. How are you? I'm well. Well, <laughs> I'm well. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it's um, good to see you, and thank you for thank you for doing this. Sorry about the little snafu with the technical thing. I don't know what was going on with my gear, but thank you so much for being here and doing this. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad you got it all fixed. <laughs> I wore this in your honor. The KAB Radio T-shirt. <laughs> I haven't put that iron on on a shirt yet, so, you know, I wasn't going to wear that. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me embarrass her real quick and show the iron on. Hold on. <laughs> oh, boy. Can't, oh, let's see. I'm going to have to put a light behind it. Hold no, on. No, they can't. They can, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Ah. Very I want 70s. That. It's truly oh, oh, man. Where we found it. <laughs> it just, it's, it's amazes me. Where can I get one of those? I collect vintage iron-ons and I was just searching vintage iron-on. That's all I put in, vintage iron-on. I was scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. That popped up and I went, oh my God, I must own this. (laughs) AJM will be so excited to see I have it. (laughs) So do you remember Chris? I remember your face, but which, which, what was it? What was it? It was, it was Criminal Minds. We did an episode of Criminal Minds, and it was about like a inbred yes, yes, family with, out in the with um, was it Tobin Bell? To, with Tobin. Oh, Tobin and, was that right? Oh. Tobin, yeah. and then um, Bill Oberst Jr., who played our son. Tobin and I were brother and sister. 
Oh, so, that's right. I did his makeup, didn't I? And he played yeah. like an inbred, not mutant, but he was like an inbred. He was the son of, of Tobin Bell and myself, and we that's were right. brother and sister. That's right. And so he had been born sort of deformed, and right. I, if I remember correctly, had sort of turned him over to someone else to raise, and now he was back. He's back. Yes, I remember that. I was very excited about working on that. They called me to work on that. I was in the middle of like five different jobs and they said, Adrian Barbosa. And I was like, I'll take it. I was like, I'll do the job. I'll do the job. <laughs> so it was super cool. It was super fun to meet you. And that was fun. It's not a bad episode. It's actually one of the better Criminal Minds episodes. It's quite popular, actually. And I got this book. Your book. That's the same picture that's on the iron on. That is. Is that it? Is. That yeah. you that you that you signed for me that I'm very excited oh. about. So. <laughs> and I was so excited. The department head of the makeup embarrassed the hell out of me because I remember them telling you, you know, Chris only took this job because you were on this episode. And I was like, thanks a lot. Embarrassed the hell out of me in front of everybody. <laughs> Front of the entire trailer but anyway <laughs> it was fun i made a post asking fans if they had any good questions so i'm just going to start ripping through these because there was quite a lot the most we've ever gotten so far joel and dexler wanted to know what it was like working with rodney dangerfield <laughs> it was it was funny it was funny it started the day i got to the set and there was rodney's trailer with a line of women standing outside his trailer. And I said to the producer, what's going on? And he said, that's Rodney. I mean, he's sex symbol extraordinaire. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it really took me by surprise. Um, Rodney was a sweetheart. I always said that the director who just left us within the last couple of months should have had a, uh, an Academy Award just for getting him to stand still and say the lines that were on the page because every scene he wanted to, I mean, he had all this great material and he wanted to make it work, for, but it didn't quite work for the character. But it was, a, it was, it was great fun to do. It was a joy to, to work with him. I and worked with Rodney once on a movie called Little Nicky. It was an Adam Sandler movie. Oh. And, uh, and, and he was on it playing the devil's father. He was Harvey Keitel's father in the movie and he was quite the character boy he'd show up and he was he's going he's going which way you want me to look what am i doing where am i going boom it would do it yeah. the yeah. camera would roll and he'd be like boom and then when he'd cut he'd go back into his all right now what do i do yeah <laughs> yeah i never had the chance to meet him but i did have a rodney dangerfield experience when i uh in the early 90s, when I was a processor of a mortgage company, we actually had a loan for somebody that worked for Rodney. And we had to call Rodney because you have to do a phone reference, you know, to check the employee. He answered. And, <laughs> and I remember we were all excited that we were calling him. The underwriter put him on speakerphone and we all crowded in an office. And he's like, oh, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's full Rodney. It was, we were all like, yeah. He was a great guy, and you know, he set up, uh, after he passed, his wife set up a, um, it's a school of comedy at LA, LA City College, I guess it's LA City, City College. Okay. They've got a whole program there, teaching, teaching comedy, teaching comedy oh, writing, wow. teaching uh, stand-up. How could you not go to that? Yeah. <laughs> you want to be a comedian, <laughs> like, how could you not do that? Mark Walton 
said, having met lots of fans around the world, which of your films uh, seems to be the most popular amongst the fans? I'd say it's a toss up mark between The Fog, oh, this is hard. I'm the, the, the four that stand out are The Fog and Creepshow and Escape from New York and Swamp Thing. But I think The Fog and Creepshow, I have people tell me, uh, there's, there is a man out there who, I don't know if he listens to it or if he watches it every night to put himself to sleep. You know? wow. the, the fog or creep show the fog the fog he okay. uses it for uh you know his meditation somehow uh and i mean so many people come up and say you know they watch it at least once a month or uh mm -hmm. so i think the fog the soothing the sounds of stevie the wayne soothing sounds, right? <laughs> yeah. putting them right to sleep um let's see Davy Johansson wants to know which role will be your lifelong legacy. Do you think it'll be Stevie Wayne? Are we just talking genre films? <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> anything. When you're gone and they talk about you on the news, what do you think is going to be the thing that they say best known for? You know? I, I mean, like if, if Mark Hamill passed away, it'd be Luke Skywalker dead. Yeah, I, this, you know? is, this is such a morbid conversation. <laughs> I, I, I don't mind at all. I suspect, especially with, uh, you know, the advent of reruns and everything, that it's going to be Maude's daughter. You know, I mean, Maude is back and, and stronger than ever these days. Mm -hmm. And um, Golden Girls gave it a real resurgence, right? I mean, yeah, I guess so. Uh, but I think so many people know me from that. I would... I would like to, and then of course the theater crowd knows me from Rizzo, Broadway production in Greece. Of the genre films, it'll probably be, uh, again, it's, it's a toss up between The Fog and, and Escape and Creepshow. There's a lot of people who love Billy, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just tell me, tell you to call you Billy. Um, <laughs> if I had my brothers, <laughs> I'm really proud of Carnival, HBO's mm. Carnival. Love Carnival. I, I love that character, and I would hope that some people think, oh, yeah, she was the snake dancer in Carnival. Yeah. So. No, that was a very popular character. I know I know. I, I, I mentioned that we were going to talk to you, and my girlfriend was like, oh, Carnival. She was <laughs> like, that was the first thing that she, she brought up. She was very happy about that and loved your character on that. I sit, love it too. I love it. Sitting right here. Hold on. Let me grab it. Right here on my on my little He's always grabbing something from right, if you can oh, see it. The little, <laughs> little carnival book. The it's like a little journal it was thing. It was a journal. It was yeah. a journal. Yeah. And I think somewhere in here you signed it somewhere. Uh, remember the DGA event? Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I went to that and got everybody to sign it. <laughs> I think next time I see you I'll have to give you I've got I've got several other, you know, I'm not a collector. I'm not Sean, that's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll find something else for you. <laughs> Since you brought up Greece, this segues into another uh, question. Mm -hmm. Josh, Which? Joshua Sandlin would like to know if you uh, 
if you could talk about if you have any good stories from Greece on Broadway. Actually, Joshua, in about, hopefully, knock wood, in about a year and a half, as we're coming up to the 50th anniversary of the show, I am just in the process now of writing a book about Greece with the uh, director, Tom Moore, and Ken Waisman, the producer. We have just started compiling stories from everyone that was involved with the show. So there will be a lot of stories there. Do I have a story about Greece? Well, I almost didn't do it. <laughs> they <laughs> called me into audition and I believe, not real clear in my memory, but I believe that I had auditioned for the role of Marty. And I may have gone back once, maybe twice, I don't know, but you know, I, finished the audition and it was Christmas time of 1971. And uh, this was in New York. I flew to California to spend Christmas holidays with my boyfriend and his family and everything. And after I'd been here about four days, I got a call from the casting people saying, listen, they'd really love to see you for the role of Rizzo. Can you come back? Well, this was 1972. An airline ticket was way out of my reach, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, you didn't just pick up and fly back for an audition when you were supposed to be celebrating Christmas. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I'm here. And, and uh, okay. And uh, God love them, they called me about another four days later and said, look, if we were willing to see you on New Year's Eve day, could you come back? Could you cut your vacation short? And I thought, Adrienne, if you don't want to be unemployed the rest of your life, you better get on the plane. <laughs> so I flew back. I auditioned for them New Year's Eve day, the 31st of, of uh, December. They hired me later that afternoon, and we started rehearsals on uh, January 4th. I would have been wow. pissed if they didn't hire you. <laughs> yeah. I could have been taking a big chance. <laughs> wow. That, that's one show I wish I could have gotten to see you in that role. That would have been amazing. You know, and what people don't realize now is that the original production of Grease, we opened at the Eden Theater downtown and then moved to Broadway, but that original Broadway cast, that show was bore very little resemblance to what we know of as Greece now, you know, the sort of bubblegum. Uh, I've never seen it, so I don't know exactly what it is. But, <laughs> but our show was, uh, it was pretty hardcore. In fact, um, Madeline Kahn gave me a, a great compliment that I will take with me. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> she came backstage afterwards and said, um, you're an actress? I didn't know you were an actress. I thought they found you. <laughs> I thought they found you, <laughs> you know, in Hell's Kitchen or something. I mean, that was that kind of thing. And um, Timothy Myers, who played Kanicki, went to William Morris. They had called him in. They wanted to interview him. They thought they might want to represent him as an agent. And uh, when Tim got there, the agent said to the secretary, the secretary brought him in and the agent said to the secretary, you can leave the door open, you can leave the door open. And then they started having their conversation and finally the agent admitted to him that he had been afraid to meet Tim because he thought he was 
a juvenile delinquent. That's what he had, oh, you know, <laughs> having seen it, you know, and he didn't know what to expect. I mean, we were, it was a different show. Uh, but how, you'll be able to how, read how, all about it in about a year and a half. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, I, I can't wait to read about it, but I was going to ask you, what? In, in, uh, just I'm curious in what way, other than what, was it just, it was a musical, obviously, yes? It was a musical. It didn't start and, as a musical. It started uh, in Chicago in the basement of a trolley car, I think, I can't remember exactly. It was written at, not as a musical. And Ken Weisman, uh, who ended up producing it along with his partner, Maxine Fox, saw that production. It was at the Kingston Mines Theater, it was called. Um, I believe Mary Lou Henner was in that production. Hmm. And oh, wow. Ken thought, you know, this has such a great spirit and uh, that this could be a musical. So he convinced the writers, Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, to... Uh, to give it a shot and he brought it mm -hmm. in and, and they produced it as a musical but the, i guess the differences are it was in the direction in the approach we took um maybe in the script i don't know as i say i've never seen it <laughs> done mm -hmm. by anybody other than us. <laughs> you've never seen the movie grease i've never seen the movie grease there's a reason i was in a boutique one day shopping and they had muzak playing you know and all of a sudden, I, I heard this, this sort of jazz waltz that sort of sounded familiar. And I thought, what is that? And then I realized that it was the movie recording of There Are Worse Things I Could Do. And um, they had taken such a different approach to the song that I thought, oh, you know what? I don't think I want to see this. I think I just want to stick with my memory of what we did and i'm sure this is wonderful but it's i don't think i want to see it so i've never seen it <laughs> true confession i've never seen it either okay <laughs> <laughs> oh god i saw it in the theater when it came out so but anyway <laughs> is there any way i could hear the your version of it or the that the original version yeah of actually i have an album that i uh released in 97 uh that has just my recording of it, but it is also on the original Broadway cast recording. And then on YouTube, we did a 40th anniversary benefit for Equity Cares, Act, Equity, <laughs> Actors Fight AIDS or something, I don't know. And we all sang uh, snippets of the songs that we had done. <laughs> so you could find it there too. But my album is, you can, Find that on iTunes, I guess, or Amazon or whatever. And, and there's that version. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. That's okay. what I'm doing tonight. There you go. <laughs> oh, that was a good question. A good story. That <laughs> was. So Frankie Carter kind of has a two-part question here. He says, first off, what was it like being a sex symbol when you don't see, it doesn't seem to match your personality because you're so sweet? And he said, how hard was it to play such a rotten character on Sons of Anarchy? Okay. <laughs> well, the rotten character on Sons of Anarchy, for some reason, wasn't hard at all. She's in the same field as Billy in Creepshow. I mean, there's that, that rage and anger and whatever. And so, you know, playing something like that, you just have to understand what it is that brought her to that. So that wasn't hard at all. Uh, honestly, I... 
I've never thought of myself as a sex symbol. If you look at my body of work, I mean, you know, my love, my love scene with the swamp monster was my first and one of my only love scenes until Carnival came around, you know. Let me ask you a question about that. You, you brought, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this, what is the story behind the version that was released that had a nude scene and then it was pulled from oh. shelves and all that? Yeah. Um, as much as I know, and I'm probably not the best person to ask because I wasn't even aware of it for a long time. And I couldn't even tell you if contractually Wes, you know, had the ability to film that scene for European release. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe he did. But it was, I guess my contract said it was not supposed to be in the States release. But it ended up in the States release. And then it was several years later, I think. That, and I only know this because I've read it online recently that I guess a mom had rented the VHS for her son, brought it home and was watching it and there was the scene. And she called Blockbuster to complain. And from there, <laughs> I guess that, I mean, you could probably find the story online and it's probably better told than I'm telling it. But uh, uh, suddenly it was like, wait a minute, you know, we're, we weren't supposed to release this. And, and so they, they pulled it. So you didn't have anything to do with having that taken off? I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> okay, because the stories I've heard over the years is that you were angry about it and had them removed. That's, no. that's, the, sto that's the rumor no. I'd heard. I didn't know anything about it. And All I know yeah. is now I have a really rare DVD because <laughs> I bought that first version. <laughs> so... I'm just curious of, of how, in relation to what we're talking about, how at times in the 70s and whatnot and over the years, like you're a sex symbol and you've been regarded as a sex symbol, as well as a great actress and everything like that. You still had this confidence and this, you weren't hypersexualized, you weren't, I'm, I'm curious of if, if that was maybe conscious or you've always had this confidence about you that whether there was a sexual nature to your roles or not, it never came off that way. You were just naturally, you always have had this strong presence that was very rare back in that time and, and even all throughout your career, if that makes sense. <laughs> I think, I mean, first of all, you know, I guess it depends on your definition of a sex symbol. I think that was something that was put on me just because of the way I'm built. I'm tiny, uh, I have a, I mean, we're gonna get, I'll get real specific. I have a small back. So, you know, the fact that I'm full breasted makes me look, I, that's somebody's idea of a, of a sex symbol. Never in my life did I ever think of myself as a sex symbol, but you talk about the strength and I, I think that's just something that I take and took for granted I had, you know, I come from, I mean, it sort of sounds silly, but I come from a long line of strong women. My grandmother escaped the Turks and came to California, you know, Armenian. My mother was a very strong woman and a very independent woman at a time when, you know, women weren't terribly independent. And I have just done things that came naturally to me without 
ever thinking, oh, that might be looked upon as being strong or something. I moved to New York when I was 19. I didn't know a soul, but someone said, you ought to go to New York and pursue a career. And I thought, oh, well, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't even know to be frightened or anxious or anything. It was just, that's what you do. So then when time came to audition, obviously those are the kinds of roles that people saw me as. I, my first Broadway show, I was the second daughter in Fiddler on the Roof, the one who leaves the family and goes off to Siberia, you know, um, Greece. I mean, you know, she's a tough chick. And Maud, I mean, the only reason any Maud was a sex symbol is because people were watching her and they thought she, I mean, we never, I never, what, what is a sex symbol? I think that's what we have to start with. I certainly right, sure. didn't, you know, I wasn't going, I didn't see, and I didn't even audition for those kind of Raquel Welsh roles or uh, roles where the sexuality was a part of it. I mean, it was wonderful to see Ruthie and Carnival as a, you know, a 50 year old woman having a sexual relationship with a younger man, but still that's not a sex symbol. So, I, you know, I, I really, I just, I never thought about it. And that's what I love about it is that you're just this naturally strong. That's the way you come across. You don't, that's not in your mind. Influenced a lot of other actresses. I think that's a great thing. It was less about, it's not about what you look like or anything so much. It's about the way you carry yourself and, and that confidence. I think it's great. Anyway. And you know, in terms of the genre, that's the reason that John Carpenter originally hired me for, originally it was for someone's watching me, but then for, you know, going on to the fog and escape from New York because John was attracted to what he called the Howard Hawks woman, which was the Lauren Bacall, Kate Hepburn. They were strong women with a sense of humor. I mean, you know, but they were, I don't know if people think of Lauren Bacall as a sex symbol. She was, she was a Howard Hawks woman. And so that sort of guided me into, you know, those were the kinds of roles that, uh, I ended up playing in, in, in horror films, at least. This kind of ties into another question. Uh, Kevin Priest or Priestie, I don't know how you pronounce this, Kevin Priestie, uh, said, given today's climate, have you ever felt objectified by any of your past roles? I think he means more like, is there anything you look back on and think that may be put into a situation that you look back on now and think, oh, I kind of regret playing that role that maybe stereotyping women of that time I don't, I, that's what I'm getting from the question. There may be, I, I, it'd take me a long time to have to look at the list and, and think, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, um, there are certainly roles that, I mean, God forbid anybody should see them, you know? <laughs> but every, every role I took, I took for a reason. Now, maybe the reason was I had termites and I needed to pay for a, a tent <laughs> on the roof, you know, and there was yeah. <laughs> one movie that I, that I specifically took for that reason. Um, and that was? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think oh, that one was one called, um, oh God, what was the name of it? Open House, mm. which I've mm. never seen and I probably would rather never see. <laughs> How ironic that Open House was to 
to pay for something to do with your house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, took, I took what I fondly refer to as the rat movie, if anybody's read my memoir, uh, because I wanted to go to Russia and they were filming in Russia, you know? <laughs> I don't know that I'm, un, you know, I'm embarrassed by the work that I did, but <laughs> the movies themselves are not things that I'm gonna say, hey, go out and watch this, you know? <laughs> Objectify, I don't know. I, I'd have to really think about it. That's all right, we move on that's to the all next right. one. Hey, tell that's another a, a person question. that spends a lot of time thinking about the past. <laughs> Let's think of something potentially more fond. Yeah. Garrett Livingston would like to know, is there any characters that you would like to revisit if a sequel was properly made, like Jamie <laughs> Lee is coming back to Halloween multiple times? Is there a character that you would like to play again if uh, the right script came across your table? Uh, yeah, there are a couple. Well, I mean, I'd love to keep on playing Ruthie, but uh, I'd love to play Stevie Wayne again, you know? Uh, many years later. No chance of playing... Um, uh, well, Billy's dead. Billy's so dead, dead. And, and Maggie's dead, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had a great time on the convent. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, truthfully, um, although I'm too old, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't mind playing Maud's daughter. <laughs> Someone <laughs> asked me if I didn't want to play Maud, and I said, no, no, I think Tracy Ullman is the right person to play Maud. But uh, <laughs> it would be interesting for us to see what happened to Maud's daughter, you know, in this mm -hmm. day and age. That's a whole other way to go. I guess those are the, the ones that come to mind. Billy Kirkus would like to know. He has a two-parter. First one is, did you see the original cut of the fog before the reshoots? And how was John during the reshoots? Was he upset about the original cut and how it didn't flow? What do you recall about that? You've been reading something, Billy. <laughs> As I think John tells his story. And I know, I think I do too in my memoir. Um, we walked out of the original, I mean, out of the first screening of the fog. It hadn't even finished. In the middle of the first screening of The Fog, John asked me to step outside. And we went outside and he said, listen, um, I don't think I can direct anymore. Uh, will you still, you know, will you still, I think he was really sort of saying, will you still care about me if I can't direct because this isn't working. This isn't working. This movie isn't working. And I said, of course, what are you talking about? And I, I, I guess rightly so. I wasn't certainly uh, an expert. I love everything he does, but he went back and, and realized that he needed to add some footage. And uh, I believe he went to AFCO Embassy and offered to pay for the filming, the additional shoot himself, because he just didn't feel it was working. It wasn't you'd have to ask him what was missing, if it was not scary enough or whatever. And Avco, they did finance and he went back and he added, I know he added the scene in the gas station, the mini mart where everything starts uh, trembling. And I believe he added the scenes with uh, Nancy Kyes uh, where she's in her home. At, it's been so long since I've seen the movie. And the chair goes across the room and... Um, so pretty much the whole opening, because that's all the opening. Is that the opening? So yeah. he, he yeah. did that. And uh, I believe he add, added things with the ghosts in the 
church, you know, don't, don't quote me on any of this, but I'm sure he's talked about it and you can find that specific information somewhere. Mm-hmm. So funny because that, that movie is such a classic movie. Yeah. Like you, it's yeah. so, it's so, to, to even know that that even happened is beyond me because, you know, people always, you know, they go to Halloween first, but I got you know, the fog is just as classic and yeah, as Halloween or any of his other films. They're, they're all such a entity in a world of their own. All those movies they are so amazing, but that movie's a classic. I yeah. can't even imagine how anyone would look at that and go, yeah, it's not working. This question, if you don't want to answer it, just tell me, you know, I, okay. I, because he even said if if she doesn't want to answer it you know uh he basically just wanted to know what your relationship was like with deborah hill during the filming of the fog was it tense no 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 deborah was wonderful and and i'm sure he's referring to the fact that when i met john he and deborah were together as a couple yeah um and um that was when we were doing Someone's Watching, or is after we filmed Someone's Watching. But Deborah was, uh, we were like family. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was not tense at all. And uh, it was a real loss to have her pass. Did you keep any props or mementos from The Fog or any of your films? Do you, uh, have you kept any keepsakes? I have, I, I still have somewhere, uh, I believe, the crew jacket from the fog, which was, you know, a, a silver or gray or something. It has turned pink. Pink, yeah, I, I've seen yeah, them. <laughs> it's turned pink. And I do <laughs> have that somewhere, and that's, I have, oh, no, I have the boots that I wore in Escape from New York. I still wear those oh. boots. I still wear those boots. They've got the, <laughs> they've got the um, what it, the, they put a metal support in the heel so that I, you know the heel wouldn't break off. But they're just as <laughs> viable today as they were in 1981. I wore wow. them to a Christmas party last year, and somebody said, "Oh, I love those boots." And I said, "Oh, thank you, thank you." <laughs> Little did they know. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> But I think those are about the only two things. There might be something from Carnival down, down in uh, in my son's music studio. But <laughs> Barry Rubin would like to know what was it like working with Burt Reynolds and the All Star cast of Cannonball Run, including Roger Moore and Dom DeLuise, <laughs> uh, which I just rewatched recently. That movie's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy well, movie. Barry, for the long story, you need to read my book. <laughs> um, I had a great time working with Dom, who I love. Dom was just, what a wonderful man he was. Um, I knew Bert. Uh, Bert and I had had a relationship years prior to that, you know, so I, I knew Bert. Uh, Sammy Davis and I had been on... Um, Tattletales together. It was a game show. Sammy and Alta and my boyfriend and I, and Sammy had cheated. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure I ever forgave him. <laughs> so I, I, but I was comfortable working with Sammy. Loved working with Dean. Never had an, any idea what was going to come out of his mouth. It was impossible. Never got a cue, you know, because he just ad-libbed everything. But he was so charming and so funny that that was delightful. The film itself for me was not 
a fun experience. I was going to be an actor. I mean, I wanted to do a good job and, and create a character. And, and I was all, and everybody else was just sort of like, okay, how much, you know, how much can we ad lib and just not care about anything for the audience? And, and so it wasn't fun for me on that level. And actually, if you look at the outtakes, the very last uh, outtakes that are, that are rolling under, with the credits rolling over them, and you see Bert slapping Dom, and then if you look at my face, you'll sort of have an idea of, I didn't, it was like, plus there were a couple of really tragic accidents on the set, and mm -hmm. that sort of colored it for me too. Mm -hmm. but, um, I really enjoyed the, the stories you told uh, about Bert in the in the book, I had no idea you even dated him, oh, let alone yeah. that that well, crazy <laughs> relationship you had. Uh, you know, uh, he seemed like a very odd dude <laughs> that didn't yeah. know what he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we remained friends, and I actually went down to his theater, and he directed me in a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Marty Sheen. I don't know if it was before we did oh. Cannibal One or after. Did you play Nurse Ratchet? Yeah, I played Nurse Ratchet, and uh, wow. with Will Sampson, and uh, we managed to uh, maintain our friendship in spite of whatever had gone on romantically. People have to get this book, you guys. If you guys are watching, get the get the book. Get the it, get your books. They're so good. They're so filled with so so many great stories. They're so great. Brian Pearson would like to know. He said you've been a great autograph signer for many years now. So he'd love to know what the strangest thing is a fan has ever asked you to sign. Uh, somebody's body. I've signed, I've signed people's bodies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there is a young woman out there somewhere in Massachusetts, if I remember correctly, who has my name uh, written across her back. And the story that goes with that is sort of a, it's sort of a nice story because it's, something I only became aware of after I started doing the, the conventions. Sean, I'm sure you know how this goes, but I've had so many people come up to me and talk to me about the character that I played in Maude and how it affected their life or how the whole show affected their life. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember this, this one young woman said, you know, you gave me a, uh, a blueprint for how I could be in the world, in a world that wasn't letting me be that in any way, shape or form, you know? And another fellow came up and said, you know, it wasn't until I watched Maud that I realized that families could fight with each other and yell at each other and still love each other because we never had that in my house growing up and I learned it from you. And so, um, it's uh, it's really um, gratifying to realize all these many many years later that uh, that something we did you know had an effect on a positive effect on people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that I mean I'm sure there's other really weird things. There may have been things that I refused to sign because they were so weird, but I can't think of any of them. <laughs> um, well, you, Sean, do you think of any? Can you think? I've no. seen I've seen other people sign very weird things, but I haven't nothing I can remember. You know, the, from the bring brought up to you. People have made people have reproduced the crate and done fantastic 
you know, uh, yeah. graphics of certain things and all of that. And it's a great fun to sign. But I think that was, I mean, you know, signing somebody's body and then seeing it show up later. And, and I mean, there's several people, I have photographs of them on my phone who have the entire poster of Swamp Thing on their calf or uh, what was the uh, creep show, you know, <laughs> tattooed on their calf, which is uh, unique. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Prater wanted to know if you had any fun stories working on mod, uh, you, anything that you could share since we're on the mod topic. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm not so sure I can share any. <laughs> oh, I will, I will. Okay, I can share okay. one. I can share one. This is, uh, when we first started the show, all of us had come from the New York stage. You know, I had been in Greece, uh, Esther Roll. Uh, we all had a, a New York theater background. And Bill Macy's last show in New York was O'Calcutta. So Bill just thought it was great fun to drop trowel at any, any point in the rehearsal period. And the first time he did it, he unzipped his pants and dropped them down. And I turned around and looked at him and I yelled, props. And, <laughs> and that was the last time he did it in rehearsal. <laughs> Chris Denmead wants to know, is there a movie you regret turning down or a movie you regret taking? Um, there is a movie that I turned down that I don't regret turning down, except that uh, <laughs> I found out years later that it would have been very profitable had I tur not turned it down, but I don't <laughs> regret turning it down. My agent sent me a screenplay uh, that was had been written and was being directed by a fellow that they said was a, uh, a rock and roll performer, a rock and roll star, I guess, at the time, and uh, offered me the role. And I read 20 pages and I called my agent and I said, I can't do this. This is, this is vile. <laughs> this is some of the most yeah, I can't remember my specific words, but you know, there's I, I can't. I, this is just too vile for me. I can't do this. This is too grotesque or whatever it was, gory or whatever. And, and I'm certainly not something I'd ever want my children to see. And um, several years later, I was at an autograph signing with uh, Bill Mosley, who Bill and I had done Carnival together. And he had a line of people waiting for his signature that was, you know, out the room and down the block. And I said, Bill, my God, this is fantastic. What, what movie are they all asking for? He said, oh, The Devil's Rejects. And that was the one I had turned down. <laughs> wow. So was it to play Mother Firefly to uh, replace Karen Black? This wasn't a replacement. This was a this was an offer. Would there? Have, okay, I know who ended up doing Le it. I Leslie think. Easterbrook, right? No, I want to say. Um, oh, she was my neighbor. She was in a series about stewardess. Uh, 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 oh, that's uh, that's that's she was on she was on Three's Company. Yes. Oh, Priscilla Barnes. Priscilla, Priscilla Barnes. Priscilla Barnes. That's it. Priscilla Barnes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think Priscilla did the role. You know what? You you made the right choice. You made the right choice. No, you did. Yeah. If it was if it you was did. Mother Firefly, I would say 
you should have taken it. But the Priscilla Barnes part was so small and it was very, I mean, it gratuitous. was, it was very I mean, gratuitous. I have gotten to that part of the script. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you made the right choice. You absolutely made, you made the, right the right choice. choice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did end up working for Rob on uh, Halloween. Yeah, you know, right. on Rob Zombie's Halloween, and I had a lovely time, really enjoyed it. But, and uh, then they cut you out. And then they cut me out, they cut me out, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> David West would like to know, what was your favorite scene to film, and what was the hardest scene to film? In anything? In anything. Yeah. I'll tell you what comes to my, well, I mean, I had some in, nightmare experiences over in Russia, you know, <laughs> As, as I talk about in the book on the rat movie, th those were hard scenes to film, um, but for a different reason. Well, I'll give you one of them, and, and this... It... Uh-oh. Oh. I should be. Yeah. I should at least get a box of the trading cards that I helped broker the sign sign cards for. But yeah, I'm not saying I got a box of those. I'm not saying anything, Ben. I'm not saying anything, Ben. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you have a box. Of I got a box of those. I do. I haven't opened them. It's yeah. sealed still. That's some, that's some BS right there. Um. Wow. See? Is you, it? Eh. Is it? I'm really pink. I can't get over how pink I am. Oh. This is crazy, right? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. 